Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the second morning service of Sunday the 24th of February 2013, entitled Impact Your World. And the Bible reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Here's Pastor Lou Guadano. It has been good to be with you, and um, I appreciate... uh, your preacher, and I appreciate his heart for uh, just really the folks and for the ministry. Um, where's Mrs. Curtis? Is she in here? Mrs. Curtis. He's upstairs. I talked last night about giving those roses to Kim Fook on the platform. Remember I told you about that? As far as I can remember, I think Mrs. Curtis is the only other person that has ever got you know, flowers on the platform at camp meeting. And so that is, uh, in all those years, that's something to think about. And, uh, you know, they're a blessing to us. Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians. I'm going to do something um, a little bit different than what I had planned. I hope you don't uh, mind me just following the Lord. I want to talk to you this morning a little bit. We've had a lot of preaching, and I'm going to try to instruct you a little bit. Might get to preaching a little bit as we go through here, but I'm, I'm really more concerned about the content this morning and um, the subject because um, in so many, so many ways I see what's happened here at this church and in this conference, I see many, many parallels to what has happened in our church in uh, really just recent years. Our church is a church almost 30 years old. It was pioneered by my father. And he was a pioneer. I mean, he started with, with nobody. He preached to just guys at the city mission. He picked up people, the worst of the worst. And the Lord uh, just allowed um, a church to be built, lives to be transformed. And uh, in, in some ways, we were, the Lord had moved us from a little bit more of the city to more of a suburban area. And we were the church that was the suburban church ministering to the country and ministering to the city, but not really ministering so much to uh, even the people in our own city. And um, there was a a change. We kind of hit a plateau, but the change that was uh, brought about in our church really had to do with the next generation. And uh, so this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about that generation. I speak to you really not as a pastor, but that generation, maybe that generation of uh, staff workers, that generation of teenagers, that generation of Sunday school workers. And so I think uh, you should listen really to uh, what, what uh, the Lord will have for you this morning. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, the Bible says, Be ye... Followers of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. We're supposed to be some things. We're supposed to be followers of God. Um, And um, when we're impacting our world, we're trying to get these things squared away as we've been talking this week in our own life in our own home, in even our own body of believers in our local assembly so that we can reach a world that really needs us. And we've got a job to do. And we want to impact this world. What starts to happen, two things that I've realized is 
the significance of momentum. One is you've got to get the wheels moving and you've got to start momentum. And I've realized that significance and I've realized the role in leadership and I've realized the role of management and uh, just the workers putting their shoulder to the wheel and getting it moving. Now we understand God does the work. I'm just trying to give you the practical side of it. God does the work. He builds the church. Nothing can be done without him. I mean, that is that is, goes without saying. But you understand faith without works is dead. We have to do something. We can't just sit by and, and just hope it happens. We've got to apply ourselves. We've got to, we've got to put our shoulder to the, to the wheel. And once that gets moving, if you have momentum, like you have this conference I was encouraging folks, you have something good going here, and you really have something good going here with this conference. It's taken years to get that momentum, to get the wheels rolling, to get things going. And I want to encourage you to keep going because when you get momentum, it takes so much effort to get that momentum going. And most people don't realize momentum in their ministry more than maybe once or twice in their ministry. So when you have something moving, you want to keep it going. You want to, you want to get behind and push and make sure it doesn't stop because to have to stop and to rebuild and start it all over again. Brother uh, Curtis will tell you, when he came back to England, I know his testimony, and he came back here, he had to try to get that momentum going again. And um, again, God does the work, but he was beaten down. He'll tell you, it was probably the hardest time in my life. I've heard him say that to me many times. And so don't take for granted what you have. Don't let it stop. And if the Lord tarries, you can do great and mighty things, even in England, in, in a place where, you know, they really don't love this kind of church. I say that not as uh, someone that is pointing a finger. I come from New York, which is, they are really <laughs> a Baptist church. We're not talking the Bible Belt. New York is Roman Catholic, heathen, just, uh, you know, up above us is UB University. They wrote the Humanist, uh, Paul Kurtz wrote the Humanist Manifesto too. I mean, that's like, that's where we're at. But... The Lord has allowed us to get some momentum and get things moving. So I really want to challenge the young people. It's not really about just the young people. I've had to preface that in recent weeks and recent months at our church because sometimes we just focus on the young people and the older folks feel like they're forgotten or that they're useless or their time has come. And then there's a tendency just to say, okay, I did it for a while. You push the cart. And you don't want that. Because you want, you know, those, those older women need to teach the younger. The, the guys that have experience, you know, they need to say, hey, hey, stupid, do it a little smarter, you know. You're going to waste all your energy doing it like that. But thank God for some young zeal that'll say, hey, we can do this. And, and we, you know, they'll come up with ideas and they're chomping at the bit. Don't pour cold water on them and say, no, 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 we've, you know, we've always done it this way, you know. Try to just... Uh, uh, open your mind a little bit. Don't, don't, don't poo-poo what, uh, what the Lord has given us. I mean, in the Old Testament, the new temple was built. And those that had lived long enough to see the older temple, the one that was in all its glory, they lived in days, you know, that were amazing days. 
And then you had, you know, those years of captivity and all of that that happened. And then the new temple had been built. It was not like its former glory. But when, when the new temple was built, all the young people shouted for joy. You know, they, they, they were excited. Look at what the Lord has built. He's done this great work. And it says the old men just wept. Now, that may seem like a good thing. They wept because they remembered how it was back then. And they said, it's not like it used to be. This is nothing like it used to be. And if you're not careful, the older generation can say, it's not like it used to be. It'll never be like it used to be. And that just takes momentum and goes, run, 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 down. So if, if you see the young people doing something, encourage them. Or if you feel a certain way, just kind of let them have their moment. You know what I'm saying? Keep those thoughts to yourself. Try to be an encouragement. And uh, that's all for free. That's not in my notes. Um, but uh, something that I noticed, and I just jotted it down at the top of my page when I was sitting there, is really, I think, the success in our church when I study, and I study leaders. I study great generals. I study great leaders in every form. I study them throughout the Bible. I study their management. I study their techniques, you know. And it's not all in a plan, but I studied Moses. I studied Joshua. I studied these men. You know, these are, these are great leaders. Moses was a great leader. I mean, Moses, there was, you know, him and Elijah are like in a special category. Moses and, and Elijah. Moses was a great leader. Moses, though, never reached the promised land, right? Now, we know he sinned and all of that, but I'm telling you, Moses was a great leader. Moses was ready to go in, just like Joshua was ready to go in. Caleb was ready to go in. It wasn't, of, it wasn't Moses' fault that, that they wouldn't go in and take the promised land. Moses was a great leader. Joshua, he has success. He, you know, the Bible says him and Caleb over another spirit, and they are able to take the promised land. And then it's victory after victory. God does all these things. They have some trouble along the way, and, and we learn a lot of things from that life. But what was the difference between Joshua and Moses? Sometimes in our ministry, I feel like I'm the Joshua coming up behind Moses, who was like the pioneer. My dad's the pioneer. And when, when I look at me... And I look at my dad, I think I could never do what dad did. There's no way I could pioneer that work. There's no way I could push that cart, get that thing going. And if you look at Joshua and you look at Moses, really probably Moses was a greater man of God. In a lot of ways, he was a better leader. And, and you say, well, why didn't he take the, why didn't, why didn't he have more success? If you study Joshua and you study Moses, you see different middle management. You see different people underneath. And in Moses' day, Moses had a circle of people of, around him that really didn't have that can-do attitude. They had an attitude that they were always bucking. They were always causing trouble. They were not united. They were not going around and, and saying, we can do it to the people. He sends the spies off. What do they do? Ten come back, and, and they say, you know, we can't take it. There, there's all this. But see, when Joshua comes, he's got a whole bunch of different people that are a different spirit. And those middle managers are saying, we can do it, we can do it. And the people 
get on board with that. Say, what are you saying? I'm saying in our church, it was that way, where we had people coming up, and the Lord used them, but they got to a point where they started getting a little bitter. They started to get, you know, there were some issues going on and all that. And then in 2009, we had, after years and years and years of great ministry, we had the biggest church split our church has ever seen. It was a devastating time. But then through that, we've seen some other people rising up in the ranks and saying, we can do this. We can do it. And it was, it was that other generation, those other people that came up, and we're all leaders to a certain extent. We're all managers to a certain extent. But I want to encourage you to, to rise up. God has a job for you. If, if the Lord lays something on your heart, I see these flowers up here. I notice this kind of stuff. Most guys don't. I'll tell you that. I'm the guy that comes around and I, I fix, you know, it, you know, make it. Usually, uh, you know, we've got a couple ladies in our church. My brother will knock over some of the stuff and he'll set the pot up there and it'll be like the wrong way. And those ladies in there are going like this, you know, the whole time. They want to get up there and fix it, you know. But they see what he doesn't. And usually when you see something, God is, you know, giving you some direction. When, when, when you have a burden about something, when you see something in the church that needs fixed, or when you see that, you know, the ministry, a lot of times God's doing that. He's giving that to you because he wants you to do something. Now, you've got to go to your preacher. It's got to be with his approval. It's got to be with his direction. Lord is, you know, has him shepherding this flock and, you know, giving that ultimate direction. And he may say, this is not the time for this right now. And you've got to say, you know, yes, sir, because we're trying to, you know, push together. We all have to push on one, two, three. You know what I'm saying? You can't just push at all these different times. But God has got a purpose for you, and he's got something that he wants you to do. And there's so many things that could be done. I mean, um, in our church, I was in building. My dad didn't see things in the building that were not good. I would walk in there and I would say, when you come into the you know, entrance, this is not right. When you come into the, the ladies' bathroom, I tell everyone, when you, when you do building projects, make the ladies' bathroom nice. You ever come to our church? I made it twice the size of the men's bathroom. There's curtains in there. There's mirrors this big, all this stuff. The guys really don't care, but still, it needs to be nice. I went into, I used your restroom not to, not to bring, you know, trouble or, or, you know, not to cast stones, but I'm a building guy. I went in to use your bathroom and there's no, there's no coat hook in the stall. Those are the kind of things that I notice. Now, someone else may not notice that, but you say, those are little things. Those are carnal. We're talking about spiritual things. I'm telling you, these things, whatever it is, if it's physical, God lays something on your heart, you can be a blessing to the church. It's not up to the preacher to make sure everything is right. If my dad had to do all the building and do all that, it would have never got done. I guarantee it. And then especially after 30 years of ministry, his, his body's broke down. He's thinking other things. And we've got to rise up. We've got to do some things. We have to take ownership. You look at Joshua's uh, ministry, those leaders took ownership. They said, we can do it. And it was different in Moses' day. Um, Moses really didn't have those people doing that. They were causing division. Um, let me just uh, say a few things. Um, let me make this statement. In a strong church, strong really anything, 
whether it's an army, whether it's any kind of ministry, the strength of a church is in its diversity. You have a very diverse church here that someone would say, well, that's kind of, it's kind of tough because we have all of these different cultures, we have different age groups, you know. But let me encourage you that in diversity, there's strength. We always want to make people like us. Um, someone comes into leadership, they will really make the mistake of pulling into their staff everyone that's like them, that thinks like them, because there's not as much friction. You know what I mean? If we get people that are the same as us. But the strength is in the diversity. Most of your, I mean, really all of your uh, strong metals is from, you know, a blending of, of things. And, and I can go into nature and into science and into just, uh, I, I should, could leave that to the engineers to, to, you know, explain how really when you, when you have just one substance, a lot of times it, it becomes weak. And really, uh, when, we're, when we have different personalities and all of that, that, that is a strength for us. So, so we don't want to push, push the diversity away. We want to embrace, really, the diversity. We've got to have unity that's different than diversity. But there's strength. I want you to realize there's strength, just like we talked about in the home. There's strength in, in that diversity. Someone has something that I don't have, so, so we need to work together. But when you, when you have that, you have a little bit more friction. You have a little more bumps. But you need to work together. Um, so, just, so just keep that in mind. Um, let's look at First um, Chronicles chapter 13. And I don't want to take an extra long time this morning, but I, I do want to be clear. First, First Chronicles 13, I've got a lot of verses, and I'll try to go through them. If you can stay with me, that's fine. And David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. So, so here's David. He's a great leader. He works with his staff. He works with his people. Now, this, this, you say, well, this is for the preacher. You're preaching to the preacher. No, I'm not. Whether you have a, a, a Sunday school, whether you're in charge of decorations, whether you're in charge of whatever in, in the home, you have people that are doing different jobs, and you are a manager. And really, to an extent, we are all leaders, and we are all managers. And, you know, the leaders forge the direction. The manager is the assembler. He is taking care of things at this level. But really, we, we need to be both leaders and managers. And if we had more time um, just to talk about leadership, we would, you know, go into that. But David understands this. David brings people in to help him. Certainly Moses did. He was counseled too. And uh, he works with them. There always must be a chain of command. Um, I talked about it the other day where the preacher and the leader shouldn't be like the father, the husband shouldn't be like, I'm in charge, you know, you got to follow me. Um, it's a spirit of I owe, but there has to be the chain of command. There has to be some order to this. God is in, you know, things that are, have order. Um, so, you know, define your role. Um, I work with my brother. Now I am uh, in an odd role. Now I'm almost in a, uh, well, I'm, I'm kind of like, I don't even know what you would call me at this point. Um, I am the associate pastor and the missions director, but uh, three years ago I came in as the intern pastor, and we've never undone that. 
So my dad's health is back. He has come back some. He preaches on Sunday, but really I, I, I pretty much handle everything. His health is not well. So I'm in a position of authority. My brother Pete is in charge of music and a few other things. So when I am working with my brother Pete, um, I'm in charge of him in so many ways. But he's in charge of music, so when I direct the choir, when I do things musically, even though I'm ahead of him in a position over here, I submit myself to him and say, he's in charge of music. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to do this? You know what I'm saying? And, and it's, sometimes we've got to define our role and what we're doing and how we're doing it. Someone has to be in charge, but we shouldn't be like, I'm the guy in charge all the time. But we should you know, find out who is, who is leading this. There should be some order to this. And you'll have to look to your preacher and all of that for, for those directions. But as you're leading people... You can be leading a, a junior church, and you can say, okay, you're going to sweep the floor, and you're going to do this, and you're going to uh, you know, tell the story, and you're going to read the verse. And I would encourage you to get people involved. So many times as teachers, we just go up there and we do everything. And then all of a sudden, the, the kid grows up, and he's not trained for anything. We ought to be incorporating people and saying, hey, you, know, you do the offering this time. And I've seen it where kids will come to church because it's my, it's my turn to sweep this week. And, and start practicing your leadership skills. Start growing leaders and start growing workers just even at a squad level. You know what I'm saying? We ought to be doing it. This is how a church grows. This is how uh, we, we go through and we gain momentum and ultimately impact our world. Um, God's got a chain of command, and we, we won't go in there for time's sake. Um, uh, biblical words for management. Uh, really, steward is a good biblical word for management. If you want to do a study, do a study on stewards and stewardship in the Bible. Joseph uh, was a steward. Joseph had a steward when he became uh, in different positions. So he understood the, the role uh, where he had to be the guy on the ground. He also understood the role of I'm here, Pharaoh's ahead of me, but I'm still managing. And he never, you know, lost that. We, we could learn so much from his life. He was a leader and a manager. Um, increase your leadership is the first thing. Increase your leadership. Um, I won't go there for time's sake. I talked about Absalom the other day, and I talked about him in a negative way. I said how he stole the hearts of the Israelites. Remember, David is king. Absalom steals the hearts. But how does he steal the hearts? He stays by the gate, and he says what? Oh, I'll hear your thing. You know what I'm saying? He's a listener. And we can learn something from that. Because if you become a good listener you will increase your leadership. Husband, you will increase your leadership if you become a good listener. Sunday school teacher, you'll become a better leader if you become a good listener. And so we really need to be good listeners. People uh, will be drawn to us, and we don't want to draw them to us so that they can be drawn to me. We want to ultimately, you know, say, follow me as I follow Christ and lead them that way. But we, we need to be listeners, and we need to pay attention to them. Otherwise, they're not going to follow us, and, and we need to be leaders. And leadership really is influence. It's really it's, it's influence on other people's lives, and you need influence. You need influence to be a good parent. Just because you're the parent and you're in charge, that's, that's a, uh, you know, like a positional uh, leadership, a positional role 
That does not mean that you have influence over those children. Ultimately, you want to have influence. We're trying to connect my heart to their heart so that I can have influence. We're talking to the, the ladies in Sunday school saying, you know, we want to be, make sure this is okay so we can have influence. And so uh, leadership really is, is influence. Absalom got that influence. He uses it for a wrong reason, but we want to gain it for the right reason. Um, maybe a crazy example. I was just talking to the preacher this morning about Adolf Hitler, and I do a lot of World War II reading. Um, but as crazy as a leader as he was, Hitler had one thing, was a direction. Now, it was the wrong direction, but he had direction. And those people had no direction. Nobody could get nothing done. The economy was a shambles. People are fighting with this one. This one's fighting with this one. And finally someone comes up and says, follow me. And he's actually going in a straight line. You know what I'm saying? But people are drawn to that. The reason why people don't follow us is because we don't know where we're going. Husband, the reason your, your wife's not following you is because you don't know where you're going. She sees you walking around in circles, bumping your head against the wall. And, and that's not a great way to lead. We need to, you know, prayerfully say, Lord, show me. I know I'm going to make some missteps, but Lord, show me how to go down this path so that I could be a good leader to my family, to my, to my church, to the people that are under me, to my family, to my wife. Um, let's look at just, uh, well, for sake of time, let me just, I'll just tell you. Saul, we use Saul as an example. Saul is a great leader. Saul, when he... Um, puts the word out in his early career. He says, they, they give him a report that the Philistines are doing this. So that report comes to Saul, and nobody's doing nothing about it. Saul gets filled with rage. He gets filled with really the Lord. And he, he says, he that doesn't come after Saul, I'm going to, you know, he hews, he, he, you know, hacks this, cow into pieces and he sends it all over and he says if you don't follow me we're gonna do this to your cattle you know what i'm saying and, and and here's this big giant of a man this really a good leader at that point and he says we're gonna go after them and we're gonna take the philistines and people see that three hundred thousand come from israel thirty thousand come from judah and i mean it's just like we've not seen it on this fashion up until this point you know people just didn't gather like that these people were not warriors at that time. You know, this is before David. And they go out to do a battle. And it seems like Saul is leading and people are following. And we see in him a really a good leader. He's got clear direction. He's got clear vision. It came from God. God's hand was on Saul and he was doing good. But then something started to happen. We talked about the other night. Envy started happening. He started getting filled with himself filled with sin, and then all of a sudden we see him doing all this stuff. We, we, we raise David up to where he is like over the whole army, and then he's envious of him, so he chops him down to a hundred or to a thousand men. And he says, okay, hundred or a thousand, but he chops him way down. And so people are like, he's a great warrior. David's a great warrior. What is Saul doing? You know, I mean, he's for Saul. Why is he doing this? And you could see the people kind of going, Whoa, you know what I'm saying? And when a leader does something like that, whether it's in just in the home, you know, the family kind of goes, whoa, what's up with that? Then we see 
Saul going over, um, and uh, he is for the priest at one point. He's praying with the priest. He prophesies. He's doing all this. People know that in his life. You know, he's under uh, Samuel at first and all that. But then what happens? David goes over, and what is they, they, they give him the sword, remember, and all that. And what does uh, Saul ultimately come and do? He comes there, and he ends up murdering. He has the guys murder all these men of God, the priests. And people again are going, this is our leader? What's he doing? I thought, I mean, at one minute it was, the priests are great men of God. Next minute it's murder them. You see what I'm saying? This is not good leadership. And, and you know, it goes further, and it, and it goes further. And, you know, he gets to the end of his life, and he had all the witches put away because he was following the Lord. And what does he ultimately do? He goes to Endor, he follows that witch, he seeks her out. And people, you know, Abner, his captain of the host, is with him the whole time. He's looking at him. What's, what's going on? You know what I'm saying? And this weakens the kingdom. This causes problems. And I'm giving you this. It really does apply to, to, to you. Because you need to be able to follow the man of God, but you also need to be leading underneath him. You don't want to just be one of the ones that are um, hanging in the fringe. You want to be one that's pushing, pushing, gaining the momentum. Next, we talked about... Um, uh, just having direction. And uh, second, a leader must be selfless. Selfless. You, you look at Paul's life, you know, he was willing to be accursed for, for, the, for, the, for his people. You know, you study his life, you see Paul going on missions, journeys, and all this stuff. You couldn't say that, you know, it was all about him or that he wasn't willing to give up himself. He was selfless. And a leader must be selfless. I'm not just talking to the men today. I'm talking to, to the ladies as well. But it's stronger to the men because the men tend to be selfish. We already learned that this week. And you need to be selfless if you're going to be a leader. Don't quit thinking to yourself. David, you know, he poured out the water. The men hazard their lives because they love the king, had great love for the king. They go through all of the... the army there they reach into the well of bethlehem bring him water come all the way back hazard their lives and david says how could you have done this for me he pours the water out and says you know there's no way i'm going to drink this water that these men has and he pours it out to the lord he's selfless and you know he's an example to us next we must be we read that scripture be ye followers we need to be. I, there's a friend of mine, Chris Cheney, and he's an um, associate pastor over in California. He's a black guy from, Alabama, uh, for, from Atlanta. He's a black guy from Atlanta. was a Coast Guard guy and um, w- real high in rank. Learned a lot from him. He's a number of years older than me. But he says that, he says, you got to be. He says, you're, you're always worrying about the do. And he says, you know, just simply... In his little lingo, he says, be, be what you ought to be, and you'll do what you ought to do. We're always worried about doing what we're supposed to do, but he's saying, we got to be. You know, you, you, get, you get that phraseology? We got to be. And to be a leader, 
You need to worry more about being what you're supposed to be. Uh, I'll read that verse again in Ephesians. Be ye followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. Be first, be ye followers of God's dear children and walk in love. Don't forget what you were taught. I know we're tired this morning and that's okay. His, you know, strength is made perfect in weakness. So if you're tired this morning, that's all right. Okay. But walk, be followers of God as dear children and walk in love. Remember the unselfish love? As Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Um, the manager assembles. The manager has been given the raw materials, the blueprints, and makes something usable out of those raw materials. Stewardship uh, really is growing what you have. Most managers, most people in the church are more concerned about what they don't have than what they have. Most managers, even in companies, always whine about what they don't have instead of utilizing what you have. And there's a principle in the Bible. The principle is, he that is faithful in least is faithful in that which is much. And so if you're not faithful with this, you're not going to be faithful over here. Now, you may get this position but you're, you're not gonna, you're not gonna grow your influence. You're not gonna develop anything because you have not been faithful in this. You understand that? We need to make sure that we're faithful no matter what we're doing. I've been encouraging our folks. If you're teach, if you're teaching, be the best teacher. If you're a helper, don't be thinking I'm just a helper and I'm not doing anything. Be the best helper that you can be, realizing that this is a divine thing that you're here for a certain purpose. And be really all you can be as that, per, as that person. Don't whine about what we don't have. Don't look around the building and say what we don't have. Say, you know, look, look what we have and what can we do? And, and reach our Jerusalem and reach our world. Um, that's so, so very vitally key. Do everything you can. Marks of good leadership. Clear-cut direction, as I mentioned. Um, let me talk a little bit about this as we succeed and as we're trying to gain momentum. God has laid out what you're supposed to do. He's already told us, love God, keep his commandments, the great commission. He's told us what to do. Um, you know, we, we many times say one thing and we practice another. We say we should do this and we should do that and we, you know, we're looking for God's will, but then we're not doing the things that he told us to do. There's so many things in our life, and really, you know, I think sometimes we live our Christian life like an atheist. I mean, because in our practice, you know, who reads, you know, we don't read our Bible. The atheists don't read his Bible. We don't pray. The atheists don't pray. We don't tithe. The atheists don't tithe. You know what I'm saying? And when you look at someone's practice, you say, you're a Christian? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And sometimes our practice doesn't match what we, if we hold someone down and say, what do you believe? Oh, I believe this. But actions speak louder than words, and we're talking about leadership. There's no leadership-like example. We need to be able to, to, to just do it. Um, the other thing that we gather is in this thing of momentum, if we're obeying God, we, we, we gather a, a divine synergy. 
What is that? That is, uh, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. We get in the yoke with Christ. You know, that, that yoke lays on our shoulders like it used to on the oxen. Christ is here, we're here. When we're pulling with him, who's doing most of the work? He really is. He's the one. We try to do things our own. We sometimes fight God, and we're trying to go this way. When God's going this way, we wonder why we're not getting anywhere. But if we would just get in the yoke with Christ and say, Lord, I'm just going to follow you one step at a time, you would find that it's not so difficult. He's doing the work. We try to put it on ourselves, and we try to pull the whole thing. We're not going to do it. But you get a supernatural synergy when you're working with Christ. And so, so don't discount that. Um, I've got so much here to give you, and I, my heart's full, and I, I don't want to give you too much. Let me say this. The Bible says in Matthew 16 that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. We've got a job to do. We've got to impact that world. We've got a job to do. And the Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But what that is, that's an offensive weapon. That's, you know, and there's, there's many examples in the Bible. You have Shammah, okay? He fights in, the, in, in where the patch of lentils are. Everyone else runs. And he stands there and fights, and he, you know, cuts and slashes, and he's one of the, the mighty men. And, you know, his best, you know, defense is a good offense. Everyone else is saying, retreat. And he stands there and goes. And really, that's what it's talking about, the gates of hell. That's, we're supposed to be offensive weapon. We're not supposed to sit back and just sit there and, and, like I said, do nothing and just hope everything changes around us. We're supposed to take a step. We're supposed to move on. We're supposed to, you know, keep going. Um, really, as I study leadership and I study generals, and I, I don't just study Americans, believe it or not. I study the, the English generals and generals from all over the world. But the greatest generals have that offensive spirit in mind. As leaders, we want to be, you know, offensive. We don't want to just sit back there passively. We want to take ground. We need, we need that. Um, the other thing is, is sometimes we focus always on, on the, we focus out on the, the, the tactics, if you will. Uh, General Patton, you know, love him or hate him. Um, he, he was a guy that's told, you know, people, I want to know tactics. I want to teach this and this. And he said it was more important for junior officers to learn how to take care of their men than to learn tactics. And what are you saying? You know, we're always concentrating on how we do something. And we need to be concerned with how people are. We talked a lot about loving people. We need to be able to take care of them more than all of this instruction and all of this stuff. That's not a bad thing. We need that too. But the most important thing is that, is that they have, you know, they're being taken care of. Their needs are being met. We talked about that in the home this week. That is, that is so pivotal. That is so key. I can't stress that enough. We, we need to make sure that we're taking care of the people that God has entrusted with us. Um, this is a, another thing that Patton said. He said, because uh, he really, he focused on the human element. He said, if a fighting man was tired, hungry, and cold, he was generally a poor soldier. 
We've got to pay attention to what's going on. In the home, we've got to pay attention on if the, if the wife is overstressed, overworked, tired as can be, you know, she's not, is, she can have the purest heart in the world. She's not going to be real effective. If people in the church, if we got one guy and he's doing everything, you know what I mean? Well, just he's a good man, so let's, let's load on more, more and more. It, when he's tired, when he's wore out, it doesn't matter where his heart is. is. I, want, I love history. I mean, I love it. I read. I can't tell you, stacks of books. I was at the Smithsonian. The first time that I, I finally got to go to the, to the big American history Smithsonian in Washington, D.C., I had walked almost 10 miles with my wife all over the city, all these places, and for some strange reason, we decided to go there last. I roll into there by the end of that thing. Now, I love history. But while I'm walking through that Smithsonian, I'm looking at this stuff, and I'm going, get me out of here. I could care less about this. This is, oh, yeah, great. That's nice. Oh, honey, look at this. Oh, that's great. When are we going back to the hotel? You know what I'm saying? That's what happens. So we've got to guard against that. We've got to make sure that we are renewing ourselves, that we are in the book, that we're, we're, we're refreshed. And, and we need to even physically sometimes make sure we go to sleep. Again, that's just a practical thing. Most, I know in America, most Americans, they're more worried about setting their alarm in the morning. And I say, you probably ought to set an alarm to go to bed at night, and you would do better. And, you know, that might be a lesson for some of us, because we need to be fresh so that we can help somebody, that we can love somebody, so that when we come in on Sunday morning, we're shaking hands and we're, we're vibrant. It changed for me, not when I was a pastor, when I started coming to church for the other person. I came to church not so that I could get something, and I always did, but I came to church to be a blessing to someone else. How could I not be there because of, you know, a foot of snow on the ground? How could I not be there? There's going to be students that are going to be in my class, and how can I let them down? You know, if, if I don't show up, so-and-so is going to be missing me. I need to come over and encourage somebody. You ought to be coming in this door on Sunday and looking at somebody maybe that's sitting all by themselves. And I know, you know, our cultures are different and all of that. So just, you know, however it is in your culture, we ought to be impacting our world. We ought to be loving on people. Send them a note. Do things. We ought to be looking for opportunity. It doesn't mean that you have to be at the church 24-7, seven days a week. You can do simple things, simple acts of kindness. One simple thing, you know, to put flowers up, to make this nice, to send a letter to so-and-so, to invite someone. It doesn't take long to impact your world. Just, you know, the devil blinds to say, I'm so busy, I'm so overstressed, I can't do anything. And he just sits back and laughs. And the church dwindles and dies. It's because we're, we're not, you know, actively, offensively impacting our world. Let me say that opposite of gaining momentum, stopping of momentum, if you want to stop momentum, just be a rebel. Just, you know, have a disobedient, antagonistic spirit. The Bible deals very harshly with rebellion. I teach our, our, our young couples and our, our fathers and mothers, you better deal with rebellion in your kids. You better deal with that thing of disobedience. We'll tell our kids, we'll sit there and, and we'll say, um, sit down in the chair. The kid will sit up. Sit down in the chair. The kid will reach over the table. Sit down in the chair. Then the kid gets up and knocks over the milk, and then all hell breaks loose. 
because he knocked over the milk. That is not the way to, to discipline. The disobedience is the issue. When the, kid, when the kid starts walking away and you say, little Johnny, come here. And he looks at you and he goes, and he just walks off in his own way. That's, that's the issue. I mean, that's it. And in the church, we have that too. And when we're, when we're working with people, be careful because a good leader will deal with that. And if you want to be good fellowship, if you want to be a good leader, you're going to have to be obedient. And you're going to have to, you know, lead by example. And you're going to have to war against that thing of rebellion. And if the preacher comes down hard because someone's just a rebel, I mean, just say, preacher, you had to do what you had to do, and I'm for you. I'm praying that you have wisdom because it's not an easy thing. But we need to be submissive. Being a rebel will stop this momentum. It'll stop all the good things that you have going on in your church. Um, just if you can handle a few more things, and I'll, and I'll wrap it up today. When you're looking for people, look for people that are, not will, that are not looking for promotion. When you're trying to build things, don't get the person that sings the best. Don't get the person that has all of the talents. Get somebody that is not looking to put himself up. Sometimes we're ignoring the best people, the, the best future prospects. I've been guilty of it. Someone comes in the door you know, they're a young couple, they're teachers, you know, they're well-dressed. This is a good couple. Boy, we're going to shake their hand. We're going to spend all the time with them. And I've learned by experience that it's not those couples that really do a lot in the church. A lot of times we'll have people come in and they don't look so nice and whatever. But I'm telling you, those people, they're not looking to have a position God starts working in their life. They realize, you know, that humility, where they're at, God starts working with them. They start being faithful. They start doing things. And I've watched those people. If people knew in our church who really gave the most money, who gave to missions, who took care of the needs of their church, it would shock them because it ain't usually who you think it is. You see this wealthy guy come in and, oh, he would be good for the church, you know, and we get our eyes on that. And we need to be, whether we're teaching somebody in Sunday school, whether we're in the church shaking hands, you better look out for that person that you don't think. It was already talked about this week, you know, the guy that you didn't think was going to get right. And God does that to me, brother, all the time. Shocks me. I would have never thought it was that guy, you know. And so be careful of that. It's a lesson to us all. Look for those people. On the street, when God says talk to somebody, usually it's the guy that looks the meanest. I'm not going to give him a track. He's the guy that's going to get saved. And that's just the way it works. So, uh, you know, try to, to, to be wise about that. Give without expecting. God ties that in together again. That idea of charity, that idea of true love. And now by faith, hope, and charity. But the greatest of these is charity. And so um, just really... The whole purpose of this is to impact our world. We want to press toward the mark. We want to finish our course with joy. We want to, you know, have a well done when we get through this whole thing. You know, so that we can, when we finish up, we can say, like Paul did, you know, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. We all have different courses. Each and every person here, you've got different potential, different ways, different influence, that leadership. God entrusts, you know, God brought me over here. He's just increased a little bit of influence. 
But God's going to bring you to somebody, and you're going to be in a situation at school or here or there where you have influence over somebody. And that is your immediate Jerusalem, and you need to be actively doing what God would want you to do. And he that is faithful in the least will be faithful in that which is much. And so just say, whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to do it with my might. You're running your race. Each and every one of you are running your race. You're not running against him. He's not running against you. You're running your race. But you want to say, I've finished my race. So wherever you're at this morning, maybe, maybe, you know, in years, you're down the road a little further. You're, you know, you're coming towards the finish line. Praise God for that. Well, finish strong. Finish well. Don't, you know, don't, don't give up halfway through or don't say, you know, uh, you know, I'm tired. You know, make sure you get a good time. Make sure you, 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 you know, get there. You know, and, and the young guys, it's easier. You know, you're thinking, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm setting out on the course. You're setting out on this a little bit early. You're, you're full of, uh, you know, just everything in you to just take that course. But you're going to have bumps along the way. But stay at it. Stay at it. You get the momentum. You get moving. You get rolling. Try to keep it. You know, you get something going in the church, gather behind it. You see something church like, like this, this conference, you should be saying, hey, preacher, could I, could I give a few bucks to help that? Is there any way that I can help just keep the momentum going for this kind of thing? God will lead your preacher. And I know there's a lot of churches represented here, but you'll see it. If you open your eyes, you'll see God pointing direction. And all of a sudden, you know, it'll be going this way. And what you want to do is you want to come around and say, hey, what can I do to be a help in that direction? Not always what, you know, we're going to go this way. It's what can I do to, uh, an old preacher told me, he says, just find out what God's doing and get in on it. And that's simple country advice. But that's what you want to do. Find out what God's doing and get in on it. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, I'm thankful for this morning. And Lord, um, I believe I tried to follow you this morning and, and certainly you've led in a different direction this morning than I thought. But Lord, I pray, Lord, that... Uh, the message, uh, Lord, would hit home. I know there's people here that have, Lord, great potential. But, Lord, to whom much is given, much is required. And, Lord, I pray that it wouldn't be a drudgery to serve you. Lord, they would see, Lord, how your yoke is easy, your burden is light. And, Lord, I pray that you would just give them wisdom. Help them, Lord, to know what to do. And, Lord, so many of them know what to do. Lord, they're just not doing it. And, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't live our life like an atheist. We wouldn't live our life, Lord, and not practice what we preach. Wherever folks are at this morning, Lord, maybe there's one here that doesn't know you, that has never come, Lord, to a saving knowledge, has no uh, hope of heaven. Lord, I pray that you'd move upon them, Lord. I know the service really wasn't geared towards that. But, Lord, I pray that you would draw them. And, Lord, I pray that they'd give their heart to you, knowing, Lord, that you want to save them. And, Lord, that there's a better way. There's a better life. Lord, I pray you just uh, would bless the moments to follow, Lord, as uh, a very important time, the invitation and challenge time. Help Brother Curtis, Lord, give him wisdom. And Lord, I pray that you bless this church. In Jesus' name, amen.